Good morning. Good to worship with you this morning. Kind of to give you an update on uh, where we at. We are at on our move, and maybe some help from you guys. Uh, the plan is uh, next Monday morning to to pack up our first load and take that to uh, to Lebanon. So we'll probably need some help around 9 a.m. in the morning. That's December 12th, Monday, December 12th. I'm going to go at 8 o'clock, get the U-Haul, bring it back, and we're going to take, it's mostly my library and my wood shop, but uh, uh, just need a little bit of help on that on that Monday morning. And so if you can help out on the 12th, uh, please let me know. Make sure we have enough help. And then uh, we'll have our, our last day here on the 18th, and then that Tuesday, that would be the 20th, in the morning, we're going to start early in the morning uh, packing up the final stuff of uh, our possessions. So, uh, if you can help on either of those on the, the 12th or the 20th, we would uh, appreciate it greatly. And uh, it's becoming more and more sad um, as time goes on, but, um, but uh, you guys have been so good to us, and, and uh, we just appreciate all the words that you have said in the past uh, few weeks. If you have your Bibles, turn there to Luke chapter 24, where Grant just read. Luke 24, starting in verse 50. My uncle Stephen told me uh, when he was leaving a church in North Carolina to, to start his work with Baxter Institute, he told me whenever you leave a place as a minister, as a preacher, there are going to be some who are crying and some who are clapping. Some who are, are crying because they're sad to see you go. Some are clapping because they're like, good riddance. <laughs> you just hope there's more crying than clapping. <laughs> but if you were to put yourself in the disciples' feet this morning in Luke 24 and realize their preacher was leaving, their minister, the guy who had ministered to them the past three years, but, but much more than that, much more than a human preacher, this was the Son of God. This was their Savior. And now He was leaving them. Imagine how hard that might be. I think most of us would think that, that the disciples, that they would be distraught. That they would be in turmoil within. That they would agonize over Jesus leaving. That they would shed many, many tears. But as we pick up the Gospel of Luke, we find out that that is really the opposite of what happened. Reading there, starting in verse 50, and he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshiped him. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. We look at this, and I think some of us might be surprised. We might be surprised that this is the reaction the disciples had, especially considering their history. Now, certainly, I don't want to be too hard on the disciples. They had their moments of faith. They've had their moments where they confessed Jesus as the Son of God. They've had their, their moments in which they believed and, and kept believing even when other disciples fell away. See, even Peter walked on water because of his faith. They had faith at times. They had those mountain peak experiences. 
But I think most of us would say the theme of the disciples' relationship with Jesus is more a theme of doubt than a theme of faith. They had many times where they just, they were just knuckleheads like we are too. So many times. Where it's like, how could you not believe? After all that you've seen, how could you have doubt in your heart? And so as we look at the disciples, we, we, we think, you know, maybe even expect them to be totally distraught at Jesus leaving them physically from this earth. As he ascends into heaven at the, the right hand of God. But that is not their spirit. Their spirit is one of, of joy. Their spirit is that of worship, of praise and boldness in front of others. That's their spirit. Not one that is depressed with great anxiety and many, many tears. And we look at that and say, how did that happen? How did these, these disciples who often doubted, how did they have such trust in Jesus as he left them? How did they have this worshipful spirit? How did they have this joy? And I believe the reason is it's not because they were in denial. A lot of us, if you see someone lose a loved one and they are just smiling from ear to ear all the time and they're acting like nothing has happened, we say, well, they're in denial. They're in denial that they have suffered a great loss. I don't think that's what's happening with the disciples. I don't think they're in great denial here. Instead, I believe those 40 days with Jesus has helped them tremendously to see that Jesus ascending into heaven was for their benefit. It was for their good. I think Jesus stressed over and over those 40 days that when He ascended, that when Jesus ascends, any threat to their peace, joy, and hope descends. That because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father in heaven above, that we, as His people, can have peace and joy and hope that never ends. And I believe in the, the midst of that discussion that Jesus showed them the reasons why it was for their own good. And I think one of the reasons that, that, they, that Jesus had to have stressed to the disciples is that when Jesus ascends and sits down at the right hand of God, that they, as his disciples, and all of us who are Christians, that we have a mediator and an advocate for our sins. There in Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, it speaks about Jesus seated, sitting down at the right hand of God. There in Hebrews 10, starting verse 11, it says, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which never can take away sins. But Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from, the time, from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. The image here is that of a priest. A priest, whenever they were offering sacrifices, they had to stand up. They were constantly standing up, offering these sacrifices, and in the end, it didn't remove sin. But then... You have Jesus. He offered his once-for-all sacrifice. He offered himself by dying on the cross, and based upon that, his job was done, and he sat down. 
He sat down where the priests could not. He sat down because our sins are forgiven. And so because Jesus has offered that sacrifice, and because we have accepted that sacrifice, we now, as Christians, have peace. Before Jesus became our mediator, all of us were enemies of God. All of us, because of our sin, had put ourselves at odds with God. But because Jesus has been that mediator, he's done mediation between us, we now have that peace. And that peace is so beautiful. It's hard to even explain. Really, you have to experience it. If there are non-Christians out there, you, you, we can't really accurately explain the peace that we have in Christ, but it is so overwhelming to know that we are at peace with our Creator. To know when we put our heads on, the, on our pillows at night that we're good. No matter what happens in the night, we're good with the Lord. That is a peace that is so, so satisfactory. That is a peace that reigns within our heart. And we have that. We have that because Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. Because He became our mediator in that position of honor before the Father. But also what we find in 1 John chapter 2 is that doesn't just exist after we're baptized, but all along the journey as we try to live for Christ. We find in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 where John says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, probably should be translated, but when you do sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The image here is that of a courtroom, and Jesus is our defense lawyer. And what happens when we sin, when we mess up, but we still want to walk with God, we still want to have a relationship with Him, what happens is when we mess up, Jesus comes to our defense. He says to the Father, these are mine, these are my people, therefore they are forgiven. And he doesn't do that because we're especially good people. He doesn't say these guys are good because of how good they are, but he points to his own righteousness. He points to his perfect sacrifice. He points to himself and say, they belong to me, therefore they are forgiven. That's part of Jesus being beside the Father there in heaven. It's having a mediation having an advocate so that we can have a peace that brings joy into our heart, that we can have that peace that, that we can worship even if we might be persecuted, even if we might face trials, even if we go through difficulties in life, we can still have great joy because Jesus is at the right hand of God. But it's more than that. It's, it's more than just having a right relationship with God but also Jesus ascending into heaven. What that means for us is not only do we have the power to have forgiveness, but we have the power to live for God. We have God with us, helping us every step of the way. Before Jesus' death, he was preparing his disciples for that death and for that ascension. There in John chapter 16, in verse 17, he says this to his disciples, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come. But if I do go, I will send him 
to you. And for the disciples, they probably thought that was preposterous in the moment. What is for our own advantage, for our own good, for you to leave us? What are you talking about, Jesus? Jesus says it is to your own advantage. Why is that? We find there in Matthew 28, in verse 20, a passage we studied this morning. We didn't get to touch on this as much, but Jesus at the end of getting the Great Commission, he says, Lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Jesus here promised his disciples his presence. We look at that and say, how can he promise that? When he's about to ascend into heaven, how does Jesus promise his disciples that he will be with them? Well, the way that he is with them is that he ascends on high and he sends the helper. He sends the paraclete. He sends this Holy Spirit to help us as we live in our life. And so before Jesus' ascension, he was in one spot, physically speaking. But now that he is in heaven, he is everywhere through his Spirit. He's with you right now. He's with this church. He's with every Christian across the world. His power is still there. His presence is still with us. And with that presence in our life, we, we have a great privilege. No matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, we have the privilege of having that power on our side. In Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, we find the writer of Hebrews talking about the ascension. And as he does, this is what he says there in verse 14. This Hebrews 4 and verse 14. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. He's talking about the ascension here. Because Jesus has ascended on high, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like. Verse 16, let us then, because that is true, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What he's saying is because Jesus is there on high, all of us, no matter where we are, what we're doing, we can all approach the throne room of God. We can all ask before the Father. We can ask for his help in our life because of Jesus. Because he is that great high priest. Because he's at God's hand. We also find in, in Ephesians chapter 1 a discussion by Paul about that ascension. And he shows us that not only can we ask for help, but he has the power to help us in any situation. This is Ephesians chapter 1, 20 and 21. It says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. All the powers, all the powers in all the world, all the evil powers, the works of darkness, Satan himself are all under Jesus' feet. Jesus is high above them because he's high above them. There's not a thing that we're going to face this next week that he can't overcome. That if we have faith in Him and trust in Him and His power and presence in our life, there's not a thing that we face that we cannot overcome. 
And that's all because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And we don't just have this power at our, our disposal. We also have a benevolent God looking down on us, trying to help us in our time of need. You know, sometimes we feel when we ask God for something, we feel like he's not responding to us, that he's at least not responding to us in the way that we want him to. And so we're, we're, we're torn sometimes. We might think, yeah, God, you have all this power, but you're not helping me. You're not helping me in my situation right now. And so sometimes we look at God and say, what gives? Why, why aren't you coming to my rescue? What we find in the scriptures is, is, yes, there's times in which God doesn't answer our prayers like we want, the, want him to. At the same time, we can trust that no matter how he answers our prayers, that as his children, he's going to give us good gifts. Even if we don't see it's a, a good gift in the moment. And in fact, what we find in the scriptures is that, is that the Lord, even though he is at the, the, the highest of places, you know, you've, you've probably seen people before, they, they get promoted to this high position and then they don't care any, about anybody except themselves. That's not Jesus. He ascended on high because he cares. Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, says he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. What he's saying here is, is when Jesus was raised to the right hand of God, we, figuratively speaking, were raised too. So we're in the throne room of God. And he did this. He did all of this to show grace and kindness to us all. That was the purpose. That was the purpose for the power of Jesus. Receiving all this power and dominion and rule is to bless. It's to give us grace. It's to show us kindness. And so when we pray to God, we can trust that he cares about our problems. Peter says in 1 Peter 5 and verse 17, to cast all your anxieties on him. Why? For he cares for you. We don't just have a powerful God. We have a personal God, a God that's involved in our lives, that cares about each and every problem that we face. And there's nothing that can come between us and God if we stay faithful to him. Look with me real quickly in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 34. Again, there's an emphasis here on the ascension, on, on Jesus being enthroned above. He says there in verse 34, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, and who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. And so he was raised to do what? To intercede. To pray for us. He is praying for us right now. Jesus is being our intercessor. Verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. God didn't promise us an easy life. We're going to have to suffer some of those at times, distress and persecution, maybe even some type of crisis in the world. 
But he said in verse 37, No, in all these we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We can be confident that the Lord is on our side at all times. That he cares about us. That his love is still there even when we might not feel it in the moment. And if we can look at the throne of God, it can give us hope even in the darkest of days. And a big part of that, a big part of, of having hope in the darkness of days is, is to remember that whatever we're facing, it won't be forever. Someone here, I'm not sure who it was, but they posted on Facebook this last week something along the lines of this. They posted something, one great thing about the Christian faith is that we know that it's all going to, to have a good ending. That, that no matter what happens to us in our life, that it's going to be a good ending for us all. That everything will work out. And the ascension, it promises that as well. Flip with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse 9. This is uh, the record of the ascension there in the Acts of the Apostles. And it says there, as, as Luke is describing it, he says in verse 9, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, two men stood by them in white robes. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so here with the ascension, it's a promise. There is a promise there. Not only do we have God's power in our life, not only do we have His peace, not only do we have His presence, not only does He care for us for our own advantage, but here it says that we have a promise that He will come again the same way He left. Just as He left on a cloud, He will descend with a cloud. And when He does that, all of the hope, all the peace, all the joy that we can experience just a little bit right now because he's on the throne will be able to experience to the full. Look there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul writes to this persecuted church. And as he does so, he says to them in verse 5, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Verse 8, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Paul is saying to this persecuted church is these people who are persecuting you right now, that you're suffering from right now, understand when Jesus comes, all that will be taken away. That God will afflict those who are afflicting you. That any enemies that you face in your life, even the enemies of pain and death, all of those will be done away with when Jesus comes again. And we'll be able to experience peace and joy to the full as we are in the new world with our God, as he has given us a new creation without pain or death or any enemy anymore. And the ascension reminds us he's coming back. 
And there will be one day when His rule will be supreme. We won't have to deal with these difficulties anymore. I hope by reading a lot of these verses, I know I, I gave you a lot here to read and think about, but I hope from these verses that you will see over and over how the ascension and the enthronement of Jesus is a main theme in the New Testament. That it is an important theme throughout our Bibles. That Jesus would become the king to rule over and what that means for us as Christians. And I know we typically focus on the cross. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. We focus on the cross more so than the empty tomb. Or we focus on the cross more than the ascension. But I think the resurrection and the ascension are things that need to be a part of our message so often. They're so important that Jesus was raised and now He is living above. He's mediating for us. He's interceding for us. He's giving us power to live. He's giving us access to God. And one day He's going to make everything right. Yes, the ascension is is a big deal to our relationship with God. But I think what we find here with the disciples is it's a big deal for our perspective each day. You take these, these doubting disciples who had such many struggles in their faith, And then when Jesus leaves, they have this confidence. They had this this confidence, this boldness for the Lord, this joy, great joy in their hearts. They had a worshipful spirit, a spirit to praise God. I think we can see their transformation because of the ascension of Jesus. And I hope the ascension will transform every single one of us because Jesus has ascended Any threat to our peace, any threat to our joy, any hope, any threat to our hope, it descends, it goes down. Why? Because Jesus reigns over everything. Everything. He reigns over your sins. He reigns over your your tribulations. He reigns over anything that you face in this world. And if you're struggling as a Christian, if you're struggling with, with peace, and joy and hope in your heart in the most difficult of times, let me encourage you, go back to the ascension. Remember that Jesus is at the right hand of God. Remember that He is now the King of kings. And I hope this week as we think about this lesson that we'll spend some time each morning thinking about the ascension and the enthronement of Jesus. Just spend some time thinking that just for a minute or two and then what I want you to do is to do what the disciples did is to start worshiping Jesus because of that. We've had some great songs that uh, Dennis has led for us this morning I think will help us where we talk about crowning the Lord as our King. But there's other ones like Lord reign in me or we bow down where we exalt Jesus as King. We remind ourselves that He reigns over all and therefore therefore He should reign in our lives. He should reign in our perspectives. He should reign in our attitudes, and He should make us more joyous, worshipful people as we live our day-to-day life. And so let me encourage you to do that this week, because when we realize that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, it gives us all kinds of joy. It gives us a peace that surpasses understanding. It gives us a hope for tomorrow. Let's pray together. Dear God, our Father, we are so grateful that Jesus is at your right hand. 
that he ascended on high and you have given him all authority in heaven and earth, that he is above all of our enemies and all of our trials, that he is, uh, he, he is able to overcome every sin that we've given through his righteousness, that he is interceding for us, that he cares for us, and that he is our advocate day by day before you. And we pray, Lord, as, as we live this life, that we will have the perspective of the disciples here. That because Jesus is at your right hand, that we will have great joy in our heart. That we'll have great boldness to praise you in front of others. That we will have a worshipful spirit. Give that to us, Lord. Give us that peace. Give us that joy. Give us that hope as we live our lives. And as we await the coming of Jesus, when he makes everything that's wrong in this world, right again. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe there's someone out there that, uh, that isn't a Christian and you don't have that peace in your life. You don't have His power in your life. You don't have that relationship with God. We'd love to help you. We'd love to help you have that peace and joy in your heart that only comes with knowing that our Savior is in the highest of places, that we have a friend in the highest of places, and that because of that, we have peace with God and His power in our lives. Or maybe there's someone this, this morning that, that you, you, you have become a Christian, but you're having a hard time with your perspective, you're having a hard time with your peace and joy in your life, and you just need the prayers and the comfort of the congregation. We would love to help you through whatever you're facing. If there's any need, we ask you to come. So we stand and sing this invitation song.